Today in Watching Your Wealth, how to resolve money conflicts with your spouse, plus what you might want to do with that bonus. This is Watching Your Wealth from the Wall Street Journal. Advice for making, keeping, and protecting your money. Now, from our studios in New York, here's Veronica Dagger. Coming up, we'll take a quick look about what you might want to do with your bonus. But first, how to resolve fights about money with your spouse. This is Veronica Dagger, and you're listening to Watching Your Wealth, while you learn all you need to know about building your wealth and protecting your money. Michael Learish is head of behavioral finance at Merrill Lynch Wealth Management. He's here to tell us how we can resolve money conflicts with our spouse. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, Michael, this is a tricky topic. This can get a little heated. We've, you know, hear uh, spouse fights about money. Tell us, what are some of the things people fight about? Well, spouses fight about a number of different things, as we all know. But when it comes to money, the top three things that we hear at Merrill Lynch that spouses fight about, the first thing is really around this notion of spending. Mm. And One spouse spends more than the other. Well, that's, that's what you often hear. Uh-huh. But spending can also relate to giving. So uh-huh. think of giving to family members. And so spending on this idea of Am I putting too much in an educational account for my children? Hmm. Not Is it risking my retirement? Exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, another thing that couples also disagree about is risk. Are we investing in the right kind of way? Are we investing too much in one thing? Are we not investing enough? I see. So you really like one tech stock and maybe your spouse isn't uh, as uh, risk uh, focused and they may not want to be invested in that, for example. That's exactly right. And another angle on that is the confidence level the spouses have and their knowledge level in those types of investments. So if I'm not knowledgeable about tech, that may be something I want to avoid because I'm more knowledgeable about something else. So how do you get both members of the couple on the same page about their investment knowledge and confidence in those investments? Mm, so how do you how do you get the couple on the same page? And, and do, I guess first, do you do this before the fight or after the fight? Should, you know, should you start sorting through all this? I think the key is wherever you're at, there's something to do. A best practice is to resolve the fight before it, <laughs> before it, <laughs> before it happens. happens. But that's not always a possibility. Yeah. But l- let's start there. So if you resolve, want to resolve a fight before it happens, the key is really to anchor your communication with a spouse and what you're trying to accomplish. So what is the job the money has to do for you as a couple? So a job, what would be an example of the job, for example? So is it money for our retirement? Mm. And is it essential money for retirement or is it things like buying a boat, going on vacation? Things that would be nice to do in retirement. Exactly. And those are going to lead you to take different risks, invest in a different way, invest different amounts and make different trade-offs now versus later. That's a really, if I can just interrupt you, that's a really good point. But what if you have two separate goals or visions for retirement and your vision requires a lot more money and a lot more funding than, say, your spouse? Isn't that a fight right off the bat? So when you think about that idea of having different visions or goals in retirement, it is a common point of disagreement. And it is, it can create disagreement right off the bat, but it's better to have that disagreement now mm. than have it when you're in the moment and there's no money coming in no to make a course. Back. That's exactly right. <laughs> so we always say there can be productive disagreements and unproductive ones. And to Merrill Lynch, it can be productive to have that disagreement when there's an opportunity to make a cor- course correction or make a trade off as a couple, or maybe have a realization that that member of the couple who wants to have that amazing retirement, maybe it's a possibility. So why go 
and, and not spend mm-hmm. as much in retirement or not spend as much now. Maybe it's not a possibility. So maybe the couple actually does need to pare down their expectations. And having that conversation now rather than later could be a good thing. Interesting. I think that's a really good point you bring up, saying it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a disagreement about money. I think a lot of families, a lot of people avoid that because they're like, oh, I don't want to get into you know a heated argument, so let's just not talk about it. But you're saying maybe that's not such a great strategy. Well, silence around money, silence around decision-making, that can lead you to actually experience the exact outcomes you don't want to experience. Mm. Having the dialogue, the conversation, at least it gets it all, all out on the table. And if you disagree, then at least you can either agree to disagree and move forward separately or together, or you could maybe compromise. Another alternative is to say, well, you prioritize that goal and we'll go along with you. And then next time we'll prioritize mine. So there are a lot of different opportunities in disagreement to move forward productively. Nice. I like that. You said feelings plays a big part in this. What do you mean by that? So when you think about feelings, the quantitative facts and truths oftentimes don't matter as much as how I feel about something. So let's ask the question that a couple often asks to us at Merrill Lynch. Do I feel or do we feel that I have enough to get to where I want to go. And we could tell a client all day long that they have enough, that they're going to be just fine. But if they don't feel that way, then we need to do something differently. We need to address that feeling, that concern that they may run out of money, that concern that they're giving too much to other people, that concern that their spouse or partner doesn't feel the same way they do. So the feeling actually drives a lot of decision making rather than necessarily the quantitative truth. Does that make sense? It it makes sense. I'm just wondering, though, feelings can be so complex. So the way I feel about money might have to do with the way I was raised and, and nurtured when it comes to money when I was a child. So this doesn't sound like this is just one conversation. This sounds like this is several conversations and maybe working with someone like a financial therapist. I don't know. I'm just sort of throwing that out there. Well, there are a lot of opportunities (laughs) aside from working with a therapist (laughs) to sort out money feelings. One way that can be very productive is for couples literally just to sit down with each other and say, well, what are our feelings about our money values? Do we value spending on wants or do we value just spending on needs and evaluating wants very intentionally? Do we value good financial decision-making and collaborative decision-making? And once you articulate those types of values, it can help you anchor the feelings in the right kind of way to productively move forward and make the right financial decisions. How formally should you do this? Should you have this all in sort of a plan, a statement, a mission statement, if you will? Some families actually do have formal value statements, mission statements. They put them on their refrigerator. They can only be one page long if, you, if you'd like, and they meet monthly or weekly, even with their young children, to discuss what constitutes these values, good financial decision-making, and what constitutes maybe poor financial decision-making, so everyone can dis- discuss and coach each other and collaborate around getting the family to where they want to go. Get everyone involved and get it all out in the open is what it sounds like. That is a best practice. <laughs> Great. Thanks for joining us, Michael. Anytime. Thanks again to Michael Learish for joining us. Stay tuned for a tip on what you might want to do with that bonus. Hi, I'm Paul Vigna. If you do not subscribe to the Money Bee podcast, you are going to feel worse than a short seller on the day of a big rally. Go to iTunes and WSJ.com slash podcasts. You want to sign up for this one. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, here's Veronica Dagger. Welcome back to Watching Your Wealth. If you're lucky enough to earn a bonus this year, you may want to do two things before you spend it. First, figure out how much you need to set aside for taxes. Especially if you're an executive and exercise stock options as well, 
you may owe more than you anticipate. Next, fuel up that emergency fund. No matter how wealthy you are, you want to make sure you have enough cash cushion to pay for unexpected medical expenses or a car repair. Aim to have at least six months of living expenses saved in a readily accessible account. This has been Watching Your Wealth, a production of The Wall Street Journal. I'm Veronica Dagger. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.